south of the border, down Mexico way. That's where I fell in love when the stars above came out to play. And now as I wander. Hello there, all you expat wannabes. I'm Johnny Mueller, and you're listening to The Expat Files, Living in Latin America, the show that tells you just what it's like to live, work, play, and or retire down here in Latin America. It's a mix of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great, and it's all right here, so let's get started. All right, lots of emails to get to today, but first, you might remember a few shows ago, I reported that my lifelong plague of migraine headaches has somehow disappeared completely in the last four or five years. I've got no explanation for it either. Could it be change in altitude, climate, humidity, food, voodoo, ayahuasca? Who knows? And wouldn't you know it, since I did that show about the unexplained medical effects that happened to me, emails have been trickling in from gringos and expats who've been living down here in Latin America, different countries, reporting on how their own personal physical maladies have been cured or have lessened up considerably since they too had moved down to Latin America. So then what's it due to? Well, certainly the climate's better and the food much more natural and organic. And there's manana time, which might drive you nuts at first, but soon enough you get used to it. And well, when you finally decide to go with the flow and not buck the manana trend, you will find your stress levels will drop precipitously. And, you know, stress is a killer. Then again, many of us gringos and expats have a road rage gene which never seems to diminish. In fact, gets worse when you're down here in Latin America. I can attest to that. All I can say is good thing I'm not toting a gun in my glove compartment. Anyway, now one of the things I keep hearing repeatedly from gringos and expats who've been down here a while is that they no longer get coal sores, otherwise known up where I come from as canker sores. Some people are absolutely plagued with those things up in the States. Way back when, when I lived in the States, I'd get them once in a while, and my family members and friends too. Funny thing too, the farther you live northward, the closer you are to the North Pole, the more coal sores, that is canker sores, will affect you. I remember they'd usually pop up every winter. But somehow I haven't had a single one in 30 plus years of living down here. And that's a relief. They'd sure let you know they were there if you ate anything tart or acidic. When I lived up north, I'd get two or three a year, but now, none. Nor am I hearing that from any of my gringo friends. So that's one more advantage to living down here in Latin America, though a small advantage, a minor one. But, you know, if you're plagued with canker sores, you know what a pain in the ass those things could be. So then how and why does that happen? Maybe it's the temperate tropical climate. Who knows? Of course, that wouldn't mean it would have the same effect on people living in Florida. Though I don't know if that's true, but it does make you wonder. Anyway, just chuck that one up to the plus side for living down here in Latin America. No more colder canker sores. Oh, and one more thing about those pesky things. If you've got them, you've probably done some investigation and realize it's part of the herpes simplex virus related to the chickenpox virus. And once you've got that virus, you can really never get rid of it. It lays dormant in some of your nerve tracts and breaks out into one of those nasty little sores. If there's trauma, let's say you bite your cheek or your stress levels reach a certain peak, which in itself would tend to at least partially explain why people down here in Latin America don't get those sores because the stress is naturally lower, especially if you fully buy into the manana time thing. (laughs) So there's a little minor bit of good news for you, just saying. All right, let's try to get to some of this email pile, try to clean it up a bit. This one's from Aaron in Trenton, New Jersey. He says, Johnny, It hit me hard when you spoke in a previous show about how cars get stolen. Being that I had my car stolen a few months ago here in New Jersey. 
Yeah, I had one of those keyless fobbed and somebody cloned it, stole my car. Right out in front of me, too, right in my driveway. Needless to say, after it got stolen, I did a lot of research to figure out how to prevent it happening once again. Personally, he says, I'd rather pay extra just to go back to a regular old key system. Whose big idea was it to go electronic, get rid of keys? That was a stupid move. Until I got my car stolen, Johnny, I didn't know anything about relays and repeaters that thieves use to intercept signals from keyless fobs. But I read up on it, and there doesn't seem to be anything really secure about it. Seems we traded convenience for insecurity. Who knew practically anyone could buy those interceptors on the internet for 100 bucks or so? Who knew that criminals working in Paris could wander onto your driveway at night, walk up close to your house holding a box with a little aerial, a little antenna, like the one on your car, picking up that faint little signal emitted by your car key fob indoors, sitting on your kitchen table or hanging on a keychain in your hall? Who knew those things are constantly emitting a signal that can be picked up and cloned by any thief who saw how to do it on YouTube? He says, as for me, I always had my key fob in the pocket of my jacket hanging on the hook in the hallway. Who knew that thing was constantly blasting out a signal that anyone could pick up outside the house if they had the right equipment? With this method, though, it takes two to steal your car. One guy picks up the signal next to your house, then repeats the signal at full blast to the second thief who is holding a related device next to the car. Seconds later, there's a click, your door's unlocked, they hit the button, then they're gone. They've got a new set of wheels. Your wheels. So then did I ever get my car back? Nope. Got the insurance payout, though, minus $1,500 deductible. That hurt. I'll tell you, Johnny, with all the grief it put me through, I'll think twice before I ever buy a Lexus again. Signed, Aaron, from New Jersey. All right, Aaron, thanks for that. Sorry it had to happen to you, though. And you know, Aaron, you got a point there. Once you get your car stolen, I'm sure most people are gun-shy of buying the same brand and model again. Even though it's sort of illogical, but it's human nature, I guess. Just like if you had a TV or a refrigerator that died before its time, I'm sure you wouldn't buy the same brand again. Most people wouldn't anyway. But, you know, when I get emails and hear stories like that, it makes me thankful I live down here in Latin America because the fact that lag time exists in practically everything and the population is a lot less technically sophisticated. That means a lot of the scams and the techniques that thieves use up in the States take a long, long time before they ever end up landing here in Latin America in any meaningful way. And of course, when they do, the first place they always land is Mexico, for obvious reasons. That means that Scringos and expats have lots of advanced warning, a big heads up so as not to get caught with our pants down. But some Gringos and expats don't mind walking around with their pants down. Oftentimes, it ain't pretty either. All right, moving on. You know, last emailer said he had his Lexus stolen. Now, down here in Latin America, you do occasionally see people driving a Lexus, which is really just a very high-end Toyota. You knew that, right? Hey, I got nothing against driving a Lexus at all. They're great cars, but I'd never have one down here in Latin America because everybody knows a person that can afford a Lexus is a high roller, or at least tries to put on the dog like he's a high roller, which makes him a target for thieves and no goodniks, which is exactly what you don't want to appear as. When living down here in Latin America, you just want to blend in with the crowd. I always suggest gringos and expats keep a low profile and let the Latinos put on the dog. They love to do that. Of course, I know quite a few gringos and expats living down here who just can't get that extravagant living thing out of their systems. They've just got to have that Lexus, that Range Rover, that Mini Cooper. They're just so used to putting on the dog as part of their lifestyle. 
Which brings us to this email from Tommy in California. He says, Johnny, I have a friend who's a multimillionaire. He's 100% self-made. He owns an oil rigging and consultation business. He drives an old Ford Crown Victoria. He has a work truck too, but it's not some jacked up Dodge Ram with flames and pipes. In other words, he doesn't have a parking lot princess. Just a decent utility pickup truck. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Me, Johnny here. Did he say parking lot princess? I never heard that term before, did you? Though it does, in my mind, conjure up an image of an upscale, blinged out lady, maybe a rich country lady. Her husband might be a wealthy rancher or something. In a really expensive, tricked out pickup truck. I've seen a few ladies like that out in the boonies in Illinois back in the day. Oh, and in the parking lot of WrestleMania matches. <laughs> but I digress. Where were we? Oh, yeah. Talking about Americans putting on the dog. Meanwhile, he says, most of my other friends are driving around in luxury cars and giant SUVs and barely making payments. They've maxed out their credit cards and are refinancing their homes over and over again, too. And the few really rich people I know have a different kind of lifestyle. I know they're saving their money. When their kids turn 16, they buy them a car, but it's not a Lexus or a Mini Cooper. They buy them a Chevy or a Ford or a Kia. Then he says, in my neighborhood, it's a slightly upscale neighborhood. There are a few Latino families who I know are completely maxed out too. When you drive through my neighborhood, it looks like all the folks here are nothing but success stories. But really, four out of five of them have finances that are hanging by a thread. And I, for one, don't want to be here when it all comes crashing down. As for me, it took me a while, but I'm finally out of debt. Except, he says, for my big-ass mortgage. The house goes up for sale next month. And with any luck, after the mortgage is paid out, I'll walk away with around 250 grand. I'm moving to Latin America, Johnny. I'm 55, and I hope 250 Gs last me long enough to collect my pension and Social Security when I hit 62. So, Johnny, that's my nest egg. That's what I got to show for 55 years of living on my treadmill here in California. Oh, and did I mention I've had a heart attack and six heart stents? Funny thing, too, if you would have driven by my house a few years ago and saw all the junk I had, all the cars and the gazebo, the swimming pool, the manicured yard, the gardener clipping the rose bushes, you'd have thought I was one of the guys that made it, sitting on top of the world. Seems like a joke, though, when you do the numbers. Most people living in this neighborhood say they can barely survive on 200 or 250 a year. In reality, everyone's losing ground, more so each year, and it's scary to think about. And me, I'm taking my 250 Gs and moving south of the border. My question is, Johnny, how long will that last me and the wife? I'm 55 and only have to hold out until I'm 62. Then the pension and Social Security kicks in. What do you think, Johnny? I'm keeping my fingers crossed. All the best, Johnny signed, Tommy V. Well, Tommy, first off, I think you're doing the right thing. Liquidating what you can, getting the hell out of debt. Now, Tommy, according to you, you've got seven years until the pension and Social Security kick in, right? And you got to make 250 Gs last, keep you afloat during that time. Now, I assume you don't have any other source of income, that you're not going to start up a business. Uh, maybe you will, maybe you won't. Let's assume not. Let's divide seven years into 250,000. That gives you slightly over 30 grand a year to play with. So you're wondering if you and the wife can survive on a little over 30 grand a year. Well, take this into account. The average Latin American family of four makes between three dollars and $500 a month. They can pull it off, but it's true. You don't want to live like the average Latin American. It's a precarious life. I've seen it. 
Here's a different perspective. I know a guy who's the manager of a Costco down here. They're called Price Mart. There's two shifts and he's the night manager, the big wig, the guy with the highest position in the company. He's got something like 25 people working under it. Tommy, the guy makes $1,200 a month. He's got a decent car, a nice little apartment. All the Costco workers admire him. They'd love to have his job. In Latin America, if you make over 1000 bucks a month, you're considered upper middle class. And he's making 1200 a month. Of course, that kind of tore up in the States and you're living under a bridge in a cardboard box poor. But down here, we're talking about a different kind of culture and different kind of economics altogether. Oh, and Tommy, even MDs, lawyers, and dentists don't make 30 grand a year or more. Unless they've got some kind of special niche or specialty. Cater exclusively to gringo or European clients like some of these plastic surgeons do. Now, of course, if you end up living on the gringo tourist trail, Costa Rica, Cancun, lots of places in Mexico, etc., 30 grand is not going to go near as far as it will when you're off the gringo tourist trail. Let's take a nice two-bedroom apartment, for example, in a residential tower or a gated guarded community. When you're talking about a place like that on the Gringo Tourist Trail in a nice area, you're talking about maybe $900, $1,000, maybe $1,200 a month. Off the Gringo Tourist Trail, however, in a nice residential area, it would be easy to find a place like that for half that amount. By the way, you have to know that U.S. franchises and chain stores are popping up all over Latin America. You know, there's Costco's everywhere. There's Walmart's everywhere. Walmart, you know, is Latin America's biggest employer. Their number one employer. I believe they've got something like 4,000 stores throughout Latin America now. And the fact can't have escaped you that inflation has really taken off since this covid thing. And where it's hit the hardest? Food, of course. People are saying worldwide now that food has doubled, even tripled, in the last three or four years. Well, the thing is, down here in Latin America, if you shop at Costco or Walmart or any of the U.S. franchise places, like Starbucks, etc., you will experience the same pathetic inflation numbers that you're experiencing up in the States. However, if you frequent those big, gigantic food and produce markets, those open-air ones, every neighborhood has one, you will still experience some of that inflation, but still nowhere near the prices you'll find at Costco and Walmart. Not to mention in those big markets, the produce is always so much fresher. Yeah, I hate to say it and I hate to see it, but those COVID lockdowns and the absolutely unprecedented massive printing of U.S. dollars has caused a massive wave of inflation throughout the world, and Latin America is feeling it too. Many countries in Latin America use the U.S. dollar. Isn't it funny that practically all the ills of society can be traced back to governments? And the worst culprit of all? The U.S. government, of course. Nothing but useless shit-for-brains slugs and parasites. And it's a growth business too. In fact, it's growing like cancer. Oh, but there's one or two things they're extremely good at. Nepotism, lying, stealing, and lining their own pockets. And still, people are under the illusion that their vote actually counts. They believe if they get the right guy in, he'll fix everything. Hey, if that's what keeps you sane, keeps you from blowing your brains out, go for it. But remember, you get the government you deserve. You voted in the assholes that broke the system. So don't whine. You can't fix it. The only thing left to do is vote with your feet. If not, just shut up and make sure you're holding on tight to the edge of the toilet rim. Or get a plan B and get the hell out of Dodge just as soon as you can. What are you waiting for? At least get one foot in Latin America and keep one in the States if you want. That way, you've always got an escape hatch and a network to lean on. 
You can be that guy who hears of a hurricane coming, you race to the grocery store and fight it out with everybody for what's left on the shelves, or you could be that 1% or 2% of people who don't like what they see coming, but were absolutely prepared well in advance so as not to experience any kinks in their lifestyle. You want to be that guy, right? So get a plan B and get the hell out of Dodge. Or quit whining and shut up. All right, taking another email now. This one's from Bob. He sends a photo. At first, I thought it was a trick photo, some Photoshop. But no, it's a real product for sale, available to everyone. He says, Johnny, I've got for you a Latin American driving necessity. Look at the photo, please. It looks like your standard high-end battery-powered drill. At first glance and from a distance, that's exactly what it looks like. In this case, it's a DeWalt, a brand you do-it-yourselfers out there know as a high-end brand. You can't get any kind of DeWalt saw or drill for under 100 bucks. Anyway, the description on this item is not DeWalt drill. It says DeWalt battery-operated train horn. That's train, T-R-A-I-N, horn. And Bob sent me this thing to prove that there are lots and lots of pissed-off gringos and expats out there living in Latin America who, like me, hate and despise Latin American drivers so much that they want to exact their little piece of revenge when having a close encounter with one of those shit-for-brains Latin American drivers on the highway. That's exactly what this DeWalt tool does. It exacts a certain kind of revenge. As Rob writes in his description of this thing, he says, It's a bit pricey, but talk about clearing a path on a snarled Mexican or Latin American road just laden with impatient knuckleheads. The perfect antidote to knuckle-dragon Latino road morons. This portable train horn is just the trick. He says, I'd love to roll down my window and lay down on this baby in the face of some retarded dumbass driver. And you know, after Bob sent me this, I thought, is this for real? I'm going to look this up. And I went on the internet and guess what? There's a wide variety of these things, not just DeWalt. Other high-end tool brands make them too. Obviously, there's a demand. Makita, Ryobi, Milwaukee Tools, they all make a similar device. But like Bob says, they are pretty expensive, around 200 bucks. But just like any electric drill, they've got that rechargeable lithium-ion battery. So you might never run out of juice to exact your revenge, especially if you've got a spare battery. Anyway, I looked at the page where they sell these things, and I probably looked at it way too long. Seriously, and I mean seriously, thinking about buying one of these things. And if you read the reviews, you'll find they actually are as loud, have as high a decibel rating as train horns. You know what a train horn sounds like. Beats a high-powered, compressed, air-driven truck horn any day. If you're close enough, it's not only quite deafening, it could be quite painful. In other words, it's just what the road rage revenge doctor ordered. Certain to rattle a brain of an idiot, even a microcephalic pea-brained idiot. Yet upon inspection, no real physical damage done. Still, don't try it at home. By the way, if any of you guys and gals out there want to know more details and see a photo of this thing, send me an email, files at gmail.com. So I'm thinking for the guy who's got everything, it's the perfect gift. Hmm, time to send a letter to the North Pole. Dear Santa, in any event, we'll keep you posted. All right, moving on. You know, it wouldn't be fair dipping into the email grab bag here if we didn't select at least one email having to do with sex, love, romance, mating, and dating here in Latin America. Oh, what a popular topic. 
Why is it that I get way more than my fair share of sex, love, and romance emails? Well, let me start by saying, yes, it's true. After running into so many gringos and expats who've had Latina girlfriends, I guess you could say I'm somewhat of an intracultural romantic relations expert. In any event, I've heard tons and tons of stories. One of the main observations I have about those guys is that they set the bar way too low. Turns out almost every last one of them's a sucker for a pretty face. In fact, I had that very conversation just the other day with ex-corrupt Boston cop Bob, who's in the very process of trying to break up with his beautiful Latina girlfriend of five years. By the way, she's 34 and he's 59. I said, Bob, what's wrong? What's happening with you two? He said, well, you know, the sex is great. She's caring. She's affectionate. She's loyal. She's a great cook and housekeeper. But Johnny, he says, we just got nothing to talk about. Thinking back on it, he said, he doesn't remember ever having a good, long, decent, in-depth conversation with her. Oh, and she speaks no English, and Bob speaks pretty good Spanish. That's what happens when you have a living Latina girlfriend who does not speak English. Yeah, pick up your Spanish pretty damn fast. In some ways, I think that's the best way for a green gringo or gringa to learn their Spanish. Turns out every gringo guy and gal I know who hooked up with a Spanish boyfriend or girlfriend who spoke no English in no time, well, a matter of months, even if the gringo or gringa is a language dunce like me in no time, we're bilingual. Anyway, Bob was telling me how he was trying to think of a way to break up with his girlfriend. She's a wonderful girl, he said, but she knows nothing about politics, nothing about economics, nothing about current events or history, nothing about science and doesn't want to know. Of course, he said she's addicted to social media, but then again, Bob's kind of addicted to it too. Though I haven't called him out on it yet, I noticed that I'll be sitting down with him, let's say, for an hour, having a cup of coffee or whatever. He'll be looking at and punching away on that phone five or even ten times during that hour. So then what about me? Well, when I'm out and about, I don't even take my phone with me. That's one of the more disappointing things I've noticed about lots of gringos and expats, even older gringos and expats, baby boomers who should know better. They're becoming addicted to social media just like the young folks are. So anyway, Bob was complaining about his girlfriend. He said she doesn't read anything. She's got no hobbies except TikTok. Worse yet, he says, she knows I always maintain a gym membership and go three or four times a week. Believe it or not, Johnny, just in the last year, he said, she's starting to gain some weight. And I said, look, go to the gym. I'll pay for your membership. I can't get her to go. And she even questions me. She says, what's it about the gym you like so much? He said she's even expressing jealousy about it, as if I'm going to the gym to look at the girls. I keep telling her it's one of my hobbies. I'm a gym rat. She doesn't get it. On top of that, he says she loves sweets and junk food. He's thinking she can only get bigger and bigger as time goes on. She knows zero about nutrition and doesn't want to learn. So he asked my advice, and I told him what I'm telling you guys right now. When you get down here to Latin America, try not to hook up or fall in love with the first pretty face you see. There are lots of pretty faces down here. Latinas like gringos. You got that gringo advantage going for you. Problem is, if you don't have some common ground more than just physically, you'll end up with the same dilemma Bob has. Sitting on the sofa at night with your girlfriend looking at Netflix or scrolling through your phone and not much else going on. And you know, as for me, being down here a long, long time, having a few Latina girlfriends, maybe more than a few, and going through that problem somewhat myself in my early days, I've personally found a good test for a prospective girlfriend is to ask her, what was the last book you read? How long ago did you read it and why did you read it? Did you read it because you were assigned it at school or because you actually wanted to read a book? And man, I'll tell you, that little group of questions really separates the men from the boys. And you know, if the girl doesn't answer or gives you a funny look, you could say, 
books. Have you read any books? You've heard of books before, haven't you? They're like TikTok for smart people. And if she laughs, maybe she is a keeper. From what I can see, one of the main reasons gringos and expats fall for a pretty face is from our experiences with dating women up in the States. Since most of us are dead average looking, we most certainly did not have our choice of beauty queens. So statistically, we went out with average looking girls. That was what we could get. What the mating pool and our own market value in the mating and dating game had to offer. In fact, I remember what my dad once told me. He said, regarding mating and dating, Johnny, you know, finding the right girl, if you're an ugly guy, let's say, if you set your bar high, if you're looking for beauty and smarts, if you're ugly and short, let's say, you'd better be amusing and funny. Then he said, if you're ugly and not funny, you better have money. Hmm, thanks, Dad. You're a big help. And you know, being that I had a lot of nerd friends when I was living up in the States, a lot of them had very low bars because they just couldn't get a woman. You know, it's tough for a young nerd just starting out in life to find a girlfriend, a nerd who hasn't made his millions yet. <laughs> Funny how that works, huh? In fact, I remember asking one of my nerd friends up in the States, I won't tell you his name, I said, what are you looking for in a woman? He said, a heartbeat and two arms and legs would be a good start. And you know, he wasn't joking. And where is he now? I don't know but I'm sure he's made his millions. And after that, a woman found him, cleaned him up, and got him to floss. Even more sad is the fact that when men and women get older and they get back into the dating game, they lower their bar even further. Because, well, we don't get any better looking and we have a lot more baggage as we get older, right? And man, that's where your gringo advantage really shines. You come down to Latin America and you can forget about all that. You don't have to lower your standards. Down here, you could set the bar as high as you want, no matter how old or decrepit you are. Unfortunately, a lot of gringos, most all gringos, in fact, like Bob, don't have the confidence to do that. That's why it's so common to see gringos and expats fall for the very first pretty face that shows any interest in them. The guy can't believe his luck. He figures he's won the lottery, since he never once had any interest from a girl with such a pretty face before when he was back in the mating and dating game up in the States. And then a few years later, just like in the case of Bob, little by little, I hear complaints from my gringo friends, like a broken record. Good mother, good housewife, good sex, no hobbies, not all that motivated, so we've got nothing to talk about. Then again, I've heard the same story from many fresh green gringos. Look, Johnny, they'll say, I'm coming off a bad divorce or two. I don't want to go through that crap again. I'm just looking for a nice, uncomplicated, unneurotic, loving lady to take care of me. And when I hear that, that's the moment I know the guy has lowered his bar considerably. Because I'll tell you, there's millions of nice, uncomplicated, unneurotic Latina ladies down here that will be loyal to you, love you, and take care of you. But unfortunately, you won't be able to have much of a conversation with them. Not about worldly events, or politics, or economics, or science, or history. You have to face the fact there's a huge cohort of Latinos and Latinas that just don't give a shit about any of that. They live for the moment, they live for the day. Sure, they're good housewives and good mothers. That's a good thing, a really good thing. But the only hobbies they have are social media, fashion, and TikTok. So my advice, gringos and gringas, when you first get down here, set that bar high. And don't worry about setting it too high. Remember, you've got that gringo advantage going for you. 
You've been listening to The Expat Files, living in Latin America. If you need some help with your own Plan B, we can schedule a one-on-one phone or Skype consult. Just send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. And if you want to get on the waiting list for my next week-long expat insider seminar in Central America, where you're guaranteed to get a two- to five-year head start on your Plan B, send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. Nos vemos.